Thanks, Shell. Good morning, everyone. And to those that are watching online, good to have you as well, too. Hey, uh, have you ever noticed uh, some character traits or some responses in, typically it's little people, but pouting, whining, a little sulky. You know, we typically correlate that, don't we, with children. And, you know, it's kind of a normal response. You, well, it's normal. It, it's, a, it's a response that we don't want our children to kind of live with. But, you know, often that's their way of expressing their displeasure or maybe their frustration or even their anger over certain things. And they're young, they're immature, and so that's just what happens. But we walk with them through some of that. Well, have you ever noticed that uh, those kind of responses are not just limited to children, but sometimes you get them in teenagers? And sometimes, dare I say, you also get them in adults. Uh, you know, uh, we live in the world of social media now, don't we? Where uh, whether it's something you're seeing on TV, it might be on your phone, your app, YouTube. But you get this moment where you come across an adult who has a complete meltdown and loses their stuff all over the place. I mean, they're yelling, they're screaming. Uh, it's an absolute tirade. Well, uh, that's a little bit of the story that we kind of are wandering in today as we kind of wrap up and conclude the story of Jonah. Uh, if you've been traveling with us, we've been looking over the last few weeks at this uh, story in Jonah 1, 2, 3, and today we come to Jonah chapter 4. Do you know what? If I was Jonah and I was writing the story of Jonah, I would have finished it at Jonah 3. Because it would have looked pretty good, wouldn't it? You know, you've kind of had your moments, you've kind of rebelled, you've run away, but God's brought you back, you've you know, been swallowed by a fish, spewed out by that, you know, and you kind of go off to do what God asks you to do. That would have been a great moment to put a bookend on that and say, you know what? Well, yeah, it's a story that ends really well. Well, the story of Jonah doesn't really end very well. In fact, if you read it, it doesn't resolve itself. In fact, it kind of just leaves you hanging out there as God deals with Jonah. But as the story kind of unwinds, you know, Jonah in Jonah chapter 3 kind of wanders in and he tells the city that uh, in 40 days, uh, Nineveh is, is uh, going to be destroyed. And what happens in that moment? Well, this wicked group of people, uh, we know them as the Assyrians, group of people living in that period of time who, uh, whose lives did not exemplify God in any particular way. They were living for themselves. It was all about them. And uh, so that was a, a culture that was just... It was just terrible. Well, we're told in Jonah chapter 3 that they heard the word of Jonah and they immediately responded. In fact, it wasn't just one or two. It was the entire city responded to God. And the, the chapter finishes with these words in uh, verse 10. It says to us that when God saw what they had done and how they put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and he did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. It's beautiful. Incredible. Unexpected compassion, you could call it. I mean, it was something that, uh, in one sense, none of the people of that day would have been expecting. Now, for Jonah, what was his response? You'd be thinking, well, hey, this is a moment to just kind of just celebrate. It is a moment to think, wow, God, look, you've just turned up and you've done this. What's he do? He kind of has a little moment to himself. In fact, he just kind of explodes all over the place. He's angry. He's upset. You could say that he's as mad as a cut snake. That is his response towards what God has just done in this situation. And so, so instead of celebrating, he has a suki lala. That's what he does. Let's be honest about it. He has an adult suki lala and just loses his stuff all over the place. And, and this is how he responds to God. Now, I don't know whether you're brave enough to respond like this when you're disappointed or you feel things should have gone a different direction. 
But in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, this is what he says. It says, This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. Now, that word angry, you've got you to imagine anger, okay? So he complains to the Lord about it. And this is his response. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and a compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. And here's how he responds. Just kill me. Can you think of a situation at home with your kids? You know how dramatic they can be at times when they don't get what they want? Oh, life's not worth living. This is Jonah's response. He, he says to God, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what, I, if what I predicted will not happen. I mean, he is so upset about all of this. He's angry with God for showing too much mercy. He's angry with God for showing too much compassion. And he's angry with God for choosing to forgive those wicked people. See, he was hoping that God would destroy these people. Now he's just hopping mad that God would allow good things to happen to bad people. He wanted these Assyrians to be judged. And now he's angry with God for, for being God's. Yeah, we can roll our eyes a little bit at Jonah, can't we? We think, oh, really? That's the way you're going to respond? I can't believe you're responding like that. But you know, if we're a little bit honest about our own lives, I think maybe there's a little bit more Jonah in all of us than sometimes maybe we'd really like to admit. You know, in those moments, I mean, this is Jonah. I mean, Jonah has just experienced the amazing grace and compassion of God in his own life. I mean, we're talking about someone who God had come to and said, this is what I want you to do, and he'd gone the complete opposite direction. God let him go, but tried to keep getting his attention. Eventually, he couldn't get his attention. He was thrown overboard. He swallowed by a whale, and it was in the belly of a fish, a giant fish for three days and three nights, where he came to his senses, and eventually he repents, or he, he turns, or he acknowledges to God that what I've done is wrong, uh, and the fish spits him back out, back out on, on, onto the beach, and he goes off towards Nineveh. You know, it was all good and well. I mean, he goes to Nineveh, probably as a part of him, not expecting that these people are going to turn around. It's like, all right, well, I'm going to go and do what you told me to do, God. I'm just kind of ticking the box. You know, it's like his head's there, but his heart's not there at all. And when God does something a little bit more unexpected and pours out his compassion upon this group of people, it's enough to do Jonah's head in. And I dare I say that maybe... I know we're me. There's moments in all of us, I think, that sometimes we're a little bit more like Jonah than we really want to be known for. You see, Jonah's, Jonah's story is in front of us. There's no hiding Jonah's story. We can hide our story a little bit. We can hide our responses towards other people or, or when we think God should operate in ways that, you know, uh, God, this is how you should respond in this situation. He chooses to do something different. You know, we can hide that. We may not hide it from God. We can hide it from other people. There was no hiding Jonah's story. But see, it's in this story that God reminded Jonah and he reminds us of these words. You see, just when you think that God's going to do things his way, in Isaiah 55, God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. You could even put your own name in there. I'm personalizing it today. And Dave, my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than whatever you think your ways should be, Dave. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. God surprised Jonah. 
And he often surprises us as well too. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul uh, shares these words about the compassion of God. God having spoken to Moses, Paul writes, he says, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, says God. And I will show compassion to anyone that I choose. And so for Moses, this was, this was kind of, this was starting to poke him a little bit because God is saying, you know what, well, who are you, Jonah, to kind of tell me what I should and what I shouldn't do? And I think at times, maybe if we're honest about our own lives, you know, we rejoice when God shows his unexpected compassion towards us. But then how do we feel when he turns up and does it to somebody else that maybe we don't think is as deserving as what we think we were? Well, there's no doubt that Jonah's attitude was terrible. So what's God do? Well, in his compassion, he confronts him. He, he comes, to, comes at him with a question and he says in verse 4, is it right, Jonah, for you to be angry about this? That is a really fair question to ask. Jonah, I have just sh showered you with grace and mercy. If you don't know the story of Jonah, you've got to read it at some point. But God's saying, in effect, I have given you all kinds of compassion, Jonah. So is it right for you to be angry about this? And the answer really is, well, no, it's not right for Jonah to be, answer, uh, to, to be angry about this. In fact, his response should have been, you know what, Lord, you're always right, even when I don't understand them. You're always right, even when I don't understand your ways. But is this how he responded? Well, no. Sadly for Jonah, it didn't go to continue to go well. In verse 5, this is what he did. He went out to the east side of the city and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to this city. In other words... He completely ignores the question. I'm thinking, probably not a really good choice to make, Jonah. He ignores the question and he storms out of the city. You know, imagine your little child or your grandchild or your great-grandchild. They don't get what they want and so they storm out of your presence, you know. <sighs> you know, you imagine what Jonah's doing and he storms out of the city of Nineveh hoping against hope that God would somehow respond in a different way and smite those wicked Assyrians. Now, God's response at this point, I'm thinking if I was God, which I'm not, but if I was God, I probably would have smited Jonah at this point in time, but he's incredibly compassionate. I want you to see this. It's unexpected. This is the story of Jonah. It's filled with unexpected twists and turns. And at this point, God comes at him again. And we're told in verses 6 through 8, And the Lord arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plants. Grace, still in the midst of a bad attitude. But then this is what God did. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. As the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. And the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. And his response was a bit more dramatic. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaims. Now, I want you to notice some things that are going on here. I want you to notice that God arranged for all of these things. Now, first of all, he's arranged for the plants. This broad, leafy plant that suddenly grew up, that shaded Jonah. And Jonah was thrilled by all of this. He was glad. But in a short succession of events, God also arranged for the worm 
to come and to eat the plant and it died overnight. And then within a short very period of time, this great wind from the, from the east who, who scorched up what was left of this plant. What was God trying to do? Well, I want to tell you this. God wasn't endeavoring to give, well, maybe there was a whack in this. But, you know, I think sometimes we've got this perception of God that every time we do something wrong, he's just there waiting to give us a whack and whack us back into line. And then we kind of go well for a bit longer and he gives us another whack. It's not the story of Jonah. In fact, God is incredibly compassionate time and time and time again. He's showing grace and mercy and compassion. And so he, he gives him this broad leaf to, to shelter. But he's still working on getting Jonah's attention. Then he allows for a worm and he allows for this scorching sun from the east. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get Jonah's attention. He's wanting Jonah to understand that, Jonah, you are more concerned about your own welfare, about your own comfort than you are about the, the state of, of tens of thousands of people who are far from God. You're more concerned about yourself. Well, how was that going for Jonah? Well, not so good. You think about this story, should it surprise us that God would work in that way? Well, no, it shouldn't. Because the very thing that God was doing in the life of Jonah, he is often doing in our lives as well too. So the scriptures tell us that God not only saves people, but he spends then his time changing or transforming them to make them more like him. That's what God was doing with Jonah right here. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, Paul says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he, being God, who began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. See, that's what goes on in our lives and that's what was going on in the life of Jonah as well too. He was growing him up. See, God is in the business of change. God changes people's lives, but he doesn't leave them where they are. He takes them to where he wants them to be. We've heard the story in our baptismal candidates today, a story of, of not only God's saving work in their lives, but this process of change or transformation that's been going on. Now, how do we know if we're being changed? I think really simply, our heart begins to uh, align itself with God's heart. And the things that we like be, uh, become more and more the things that we know that God would like or want us to like as well too. That's what happens. So God will not only reach out to those who are far from him, but he'll also work with those uh, who've responded to his grace to keep growing and changing them. He is in the business of growing us up and getting us ready for heaven. And Jonah's story ends in rather an abrupt way. God's trying to get his attention. And so he comes back at him with a, a couple more unexpected questions for, for Jonah. In, in verse 9, he says, well, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Now, here's a moment for Jonah. A moment for him to respond really well. You know, he could have said, no, it's, you know, I, my response wasn't right. But his response is dramatic once again. He goes, yes, even angry enough to die. That's how I'm feeling. Then the Lord said to him, oh, a bit more pointed. You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. 
But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention the animals. And then he finishes with this question. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And the story finishes. With the point having been made. God's illustrating his mercy and his compassion. Jonah, I've showed it to you. I've shown it to some sailors that, on a boat that you were with. I've shown it to you with a, with, a, with a giant fist. I've shown it to this great city of people. I'm demonstrating my mercy and my compassion for all people. And it illustrates the importance for us to, to love people or to care for people just as Jesus loves them too. So what do we take from this? What do we take from this story? And, and how, do, how do we wrap this up? Because the story doesn't finish. I'd love to think that there was this beautiful moment of, of repentance in the life of Jonah and everything was tied up in this neat little bow. We don't know. And so we can't read that into the story, but I think there are some lessons for us. And as I wrap things up, I want to just share two brief lessons with us that I think they're simple. In fact, when I share them with you, you're going to go, Dave, that's pretty simple. And my response will be, yeah, but that's what makes them so profound. See, it's the simplicity and the profound that I actually think we sometimes miss. And the first lesson is simply this. It's the lesson that God loves people. That's what the story of Jonah is all about. It reminds us once again of the truth that God loves people. You see, he loved Nineveh. Probably strange for a Hebrew to think that an enemy of the Hebrews, that God would love the Assyrians. But God's saying to Jonah, I love Nineveh. I want Nineveh to change. I want them to humble themselves. I want them to respond and to come to me. And the minute that happened in their lives, what happened? The entire city got changed. I mean, God responded with grace and mercy. God loves people. You see, this story is not so much about a fish and, and, a, and a pouting prophet. It's more about the character of God. Of God saying, who, who am I? You know, you know, who is God at the beginning? Well, he's still the same God at the very end. You know, if God at the very beginning had been kind of compassionate for a moment and then he'd kind of, oh, I'm over that because you're not listening to me and given Jonah a whack and then another whack and wasn't being gracious and merciful to him at all, you'd say, well, God's not consistent at all. But in fact, this entire story is, it, it, we have this consistent uh, thread of the character of God, that God loves people. He loves Nineveh. You know, what's Nineveh? Well, Nineveh is people. It's, it's the people here in this room. God, God loves people. God loves people of different cultures and backgrounds and ethnicities. He loves people. It doesn't matter whether you're from the big city or from the country town, whether it's from uh, a, a foreign uh, country. God loves people. See, what's your Nineveh? Your Nineveh may not be the Assyrians, but your Nineveh might be the neighbor. The neighbor's a little bit grumpy and testy at times, and, and that's your Nineveh. Or your Nineveh might be the person that you run into at the supermarket, or you see at the supermarket, or, or it's the people that are driving down the roads. 
or your Nineveh might even be a family member today that you've fallen out of sorts with and you're so angry at them and you're not even sure why you're angry anymore. Or it's the person that's covered in tattoos with piercings that you don't even know who they are, but there's been an immediate response of judgment. Or to the 14-year-old teenage girl that's fallen pregnant and life's a mess for that person. See, God looks at all those scenarios. He said, well, there's Nineveh. I love these people. And so as we think about that statement, that lesson that God loves people, really it comes back at us to say, well, if I'm going to hold this story up as a mirror across my life and think about this, do do I love people? Do I? Do you and I love people in the same way in which God loves people? Do we carry that same kind of compassionate grace and mercy we want to we want to extend to other people or are we more concerned about our own comforts than the thought of tens of thousands of lost souls who don't even know about God's love for their lives I don't know how you'd respond to that question challenges me because at different times in my life I don't necessarily respond too well to what whatever my Nineveh might be God says do you love him you're more concerned, Dave, about your own comfort than you are about lost people. I was thinking about that this week a little bit, and uh, the story of the prodigal son came to mind. And it wasn't so much the, the prodigal, it was the response of the older brother. Now, I don't know whether you know that story very well, but in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus was telling a story. In fact, it was a number of stories he was threading together to get the attention of the religious leaders. In one sense, he could have been saying to them, do you you love people the same way in which I love people? You're more concerned about your your rules, your systems. Do you you have my heart for these people? And in the course of telling the story, uh, if you know it, you may not know it, but just really briefly, it was the youngest brother who came to the dad and said, you know what, I'm done with this family. I want all of my inheritance and I want to go and do something else. What's the father do? He graciously gives half the inheritance to his youngest son that son goes off and squanders that money in all kinds of reckless living and it's not until he gets to the very end that he realizes i've got no more money and he's kind of scrambling through uh, the troughs of pigs trying to get enough food to eat that he realizes you know what my father's servants live better than that and maybe i should go back to my dad i apologize and ask if i could just become one of his hired slaves the younger son goes back the father sees him coming and He comes down off the top of his house and he runs out to meet his son. He's so joyful that his son has come back. And what's he do? Gives him a whack, doesn't he? No, he doesn't give him a whack. He gives him this great big embrace, much like what our heavenly father does. That's the picture. Uh, And he throws a party. All good and well? Well, yeah, for everybody else, but the oldest brother who becomes somewhat indignant and angry and frustrated. You know what? There's an adult about to explode all over the place with their stuff. And he storms into his dad and he says, what in the world is going on here? You know what? I've spent my entire life working for you. You haven't even thrown me a party. And my brother who's been wayward comes back and you throw him a party? And the dad says, you know what, son? Everything that I have is yours. It's all yours. But my son who was lost, who is now found, I'm throwing a party because he is home. And the oldest brother would have nothing to do with it. Seems a little bit like Jonah, doesn't it? 
And in fact, if we hold that mirror up over our own lives, sometimes that's the way in which we might find ourselves responding to. And God reminds us in this story that he loves people and he wants us to love them too. Here's the second, here's the second lesson. Not only does God love people, but I think God shows us through this story as it wraps up that he often saves people through people. That's what he was doing in this story. God was sending Jonah. He was inviting him to play his part in this story. It wasn't Jonah that was doing the saving. That was the work of God's Spirit in the lives of this city of Assyrians. You know, I mean, it was a stunning spiritual awakening. I mean, the only thing that Jonah did was turn up and say, you know what, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And the entire city suddenly changes. I mean, that is the work of God's Spirit. And so it's not that Jonah was doing any saving work here. He was just doing his part. But here's the point. God didn't have any other plan. There was no plan B, C, D, or E if Jonah didn't respond. There was only one plan, and it was with Jonah in the midst of that. God's plan for saving people involves other people. That's how he rolls. That's how he works. See, that reminds me that even though Jonah was reluctant, rebellious, stubborn, after God got his attention, God's plan was for saving people in and through Jonah. So maybe the question for us as we think about that lesson is really is something along these lines. You know, is God calling you and I to do something? To respond in a certain way? Only you can answer that. You see, maybe it's as simple for you as walking across the room with an invitation that says, would you like to come to Christmas together at my church? Seems like a simple thing, isn't it? But for many of us, we struggle to do that because we're afraid that we might be rejected. Or maybe for others of us, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing conversation that you're having with a neighbor or a friend or a work colleague. And, and, and for you, it's stepping into this space and, and, and beginning to share and say, can, can I share with you the difference that God's son, Jesus, has made in my life? It, it's all tied up with Christmas. You see, in those moments, we're kind of faced with a choice. Are we going to participate, get on board, get involved, or are we going to just, no, no, it's all about my show, or it's about me feeling comfortable. So how are we going to respond in those moments? You see, the reality is that there is a Nineveh in all of our lives. And dare I say, it's a little bit closer than what we might sometimes anticipate. See, your Nineveh, my Nineveh might be a family member, it could be a friend. It may be somebody that we're close to. And God has called us to a Nineveh. And I've got to say today, it's a place where popularity doesn't matter, but what truly matters is faithfulness to the call of God. And one of the greatest revivals in history... There's been a number of them down throughout history, but this would have to stand up there as one of them. Started because one man was willing to do his part and be obedient to God. 
Could you think for just a moment about what God might do in and through you if you were just willing to do your part? I mean, you may not even see it. You may not even see the difference that your part's going to make in the life of somebody else, but you chose not to be rebellious or stubborn. You chose to make it not about you and your own comforts, but just stepped up and said, God, you know what? This is what you call me to do. So what's all this mean for us today? Well, you know, as I kind of wrap things up and you think about those two lessons, you know, God, God loves people and uh, God delights in working through people, ordinary people to reach people, you know, as you think about what's that mean for you now then? You know, we follow a God who is unexpected. It's a story that we've just followed. It's kind of unexpected twists and turns and God often wants to do unexpected things in our lives where it just kind of gets us, it just, we weren't expecting it and, and God just bursts into our lives. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're, and, and you're hearing or you're watching online and you're realizing and hearing for the first time that there is a God who loves you. And you're finding that it's a little bit unexpected. You're thinking, really, me? With all of my mess, all of my life? No, don't. God, God is not going to love my life. I'm here to tell you, yes. Yes, he is. If God's willing to reach Assyrians, this wicked group of people, then how do I know God wants to do that? Because that's what Christmas is all about. You see, uh, we, we're told we celebrate God, Emmanuel, with us. I was sitting this week with a friend, having a conversation about faith, helping him to understand that, you know, this is what we celebrate at Christmas. God became flesh. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, is God with us. And you could just see the, the cogs turning as he's processing all of that as well too. You see, we're reminded for God to so love the world that he sent his one and only son. God delights in working through other people. He sent his son. See, God is more than just words. He's about action. And so if you're sitting here today and you'd actually know that you don't have a relationship with God, you've been coming along, or maybe you're even here for a baptism today and you're processing all that's kind of going on, I just want you to know that God loves you. He cares about you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. God doesn't want to hit you with a stick. If that's your mindset of who God is, God is gracious. He is compassionate. God is calling. Maybe God is calling your life today and he's looking for you to respond. And I want to give you a moment, and when we pray in just a moment, to, uh, to actually respond to that, if that's you. Or, or maybe for others of us today, as you think about that, you've already been following. You're, you're already a follower. You're a bit like Jonah. You, you kind of know how this all works. You, you kind of you do the church thing. You're kind of connected. But if you're really honest, maybe deep down a little bit, that's... Uh, my prayer life's not like what it used to be. And, and that Bible, and the Bible... Uh, I open it, but it doesn't speak to me anymore. And I, I can't even remember the last time that I actually even kind of lived with any great sense of excitement about my own faith. I'm just going through the motions. It's easy for us to land up in that space as well too. And to be a little bit like Jonah and for all of us to be more concerned about our own comfort and what we're kind of getting out of this world than living with the heart of God. And maybe as we bookend this story for you today, there is a, as there is a moment for you that says, you know what, maybe I'm not running, but I'm not even kind of walking in the direction that God wants me to walk. He's not getting any of my time or my talents or my treasures. I'm, not just, I'm just not thinking about that. And today is a moment as we, as we sing and just as we pray and then as we sing, it's a moment for you just to respond and say, God, you know what? 
here is my decision today that I just sense you're saying to me, I'm I, I wanting to live in a way that's, I, I want to do my part. I, I want to collaborate with what you're wanting me to do. And I think this is the challenge for us. You see, it took a, it took a mighty fish to get the attention of Jonah. And so what I'm urging here is I'm saying, hey, don't let it be a fish in your life that gets your attention. God's trying to get your attention maybe today. You know, don't let him do something dramatic to wake you up to get your attention. He wants you to join in with him with what he is doing as well too. I want to ask us just to bow our heads right now. As our worship team is just coming back to the platform this morning. I realize that this is kind of a holy moment. You know, just a moment we're going to have people who are getting baptized. Uh, but before we do that, there is a moment right here where God's just doing some business in our lives. And so with our heads down and our eyes closed, that, that, that's the, there's nothing sacred about that. That just enables us to focus in on the moment. What's God saying to you? See, if you're here today and you know that you don't have a relationship with God, then I want to remind you that it is as simple as acknowledging something just like this. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you came to planet Earth. Thank you that you came and lived and died for my sins so that I might live in right relationship with God. I don't understand all of that, but today I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and to make my heart your home. Today, I want to follow you. See, if that's a decision that you're needing to make today here in this room or even online, we want to hear about that. If you're here in this room and you know you've got to do that, would, would you be brave enough to maybe just lift your hand wherever you are? Because I just want to pray for you in just a moment. That's a decision you're needing to make. Or maybe today you just you, you're sensing the prompting of God's spirit in your life. You know that. Uh, there needs to be some things that you need to get right right now in terms of the way in which maybe you're living, the way in which you're following Jesus. This is your moment right now, just in the quietness of this space. To say, Heavenly Father, I want to collaborate with you. I, I, want, to, I want to do the part that you're calling me to, part, to play. It doesn't have to be complicated today. Father, thank you for what you're doing here in this room this morning. For what you might be doing in the hearts and lives of those who are watching. Lord, we thank you for a story that reminds us quite unexpectedly of your amazing compassion. Not just to those who have got it right or seem to have it right, but to everyone, regardless of their situation. Thank you that you demonstrated that compassion in action and not just words through the giving of your son, Jesus.
Father, for people right now that might be doing business with you about embracing your Son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Saviour. Lord, may this be a moment in their lives that profoundly impacts them. Lord, will they experience you in a tangible way, that there is this outpouring of your Spirit upon their lives that so impacts them. They, they realize that something has shifted in their lives. They've moved from darkness into light. Lord, the burdens that they are carrying are just being stripped away because they're experiencing your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy and compassion. Father, we want to be a group of people who live with eternity clearly in our minds. Lord, we want our lives to count for you. So Father, whatever that might be across this room today, whether it's your prompting us around the use of our time, it's our talents, or it's even the very treasures that you've given to us, and we know that maybe our lives are more about just holding on for ourselves and for what we want, rather than thinking about a life in the grand scheme of eternity, about investing and sowing it into, God, what you're doing. Lord, we pray that, Lord, our response out of this story is, this story captivates, it captures our hearts afresh. You're doing something new. So Lord, we bless you today. Thank you for what you're doing. We thank you that you are a God who surprises us, often in unexpected ways. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.